Hey guys, welcome to the Empower Her Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Aoife, and this is episode number 34. I can't believe that we are 34 episodes in and so many of you guys are tuning in each week to listen. I am super, super appreciative of you, lovely listener, listening right now for choosing to listen to my podcast on your morning walk or your commute or wherever in the world you may be. So just want to send a little thank you out to you. And also thanks to everyone who submitted reviews recently on Apple Podcasts. I just managed to find them and I love reading them. If you are liking what you're listening and want to leave a review, please feel free to do so because it is invaluable for me as it really helps the podcast to reach more people and allows me to also get a sense of if you're enjoying these episodes. I'll pop a link in the show notes today for how to leave a review because I know some people get a little bit confused by that. If you're new here, welcome to the podcast. Each week my aim is to simplify various topics that people may find confusing in relation to fitness and nutrition with the aim of helping you to understand that fad diets don't work, you can eat more and you don't have to be killing yourself in the gym every day to see results. So if you love what you hear on today's episode, hit that subscribe button so you can tune in every week and feel free to tell a friend, a co-worker, family member, gym buddy, or anyone who's interested in improving their life and their body. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it to your Instagram story by tagging me at ActivelyEva and tagging the podcast at empowerher.fitness is an interview episode and I am speaking with Kayla Mulvogue who is a physiotherapist, sports scientist and expert in women's physiology and training. Recently launched a course called Applied Women's Physiology and Training which teaches women and people who coach women all about the unique considerations for optimizing women's training, health and fitness, including aspects of physiology, hormones, reproductive health and so much more. This episode we're talking about the key differences in women's physiology when it comes to strength training and we're going to talk about how and why we may want to train differently to men. So we dive into details about why recovery matters, we talk about some overrated exercises that women use in the gym, yes it's going to be some glute stuff, to talk about how to structure your training in order to maximize your time in the gym and your results. We talk about training across the various stages of your menstrual cycle and we talk a little about pre and postnatal training as well. Welcome to the podcast Kayla. Hi thanks for having me. How are you going today? Well it's a little bit cold here in Perth so trying to just keep warm really snuggling up inside. Yeah, same here in Brisbane. It's cold for us anyway, but it's like probably 20 degrees, which isn't that cold. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was 15 here this morning. Oh, that's that's not that correct. <laughs> like for, compared to compared to some places in the world, it's not that bad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Ireland, and everybody's like, you shouldn't feel cold, <laughs> considering you're from Ireland. But I feel like I've acclimatized. <laughs> yeah, I was just in Canada the last six months, and it was like minus ten. I was like, yeah, okay, that's freezing, but here we're fine. Yeah, exactly. When you compare it to somewhere like that, it's like, yeah, if we don't have it too bad here. <laughs> Yeah. And before we get started with the podcast, I wanted to start with a few fun questions and then we'll go into talking a bit more about what you do. So first question is, what does your morning routine look like? 
so first thing when I wake up, I pop on a meditation. I just do it um, like lying in bed, I lie on my back and um, just, you know, turn it on for 10 minutes to sort of start my day. Uh, then I'll get out of bed and usually just go for a walk and get a coffee before I get home and open my laptop. So I try not to look at my phone until I've sort of had that time in the morning just to myself. Cause usually when I start, <laughs> like when I open the laptop or open, you know, my phone or Instagram or anything like that, then it's just, it's a little bit hectic from there on. So I try to have that time for myself in the morning. That's such a good idea. I tried that for a while and then I crept back into old habits. (laughs) It's so hard to avoid going on your phone first thing. So well done for doing it. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Next question for you is, um, what is the best book you've read recently? Oh, the most recent one that I finished was How to Do the Work by Nicole I think her name is or LaPera. She's the holistic psychologist on Instagram. Oh yeah, I knew I recognized the name from somewhere. Yeah, so I found that really interesting. It was a really good book and it sort of put me on to the next book that I've started reading, which is The Body Keeps the Score. Wow, very good. And what's that one about? Because I haven't heard of that one. So it's I've only just started it, but it's kind of how like your emotions get trapped in your body or like not get trapped, but like um, how you kind of process your emotions and how you experience your emotions, I guess, because a lot of people tend to be like out of touch with their bodies. And, you know, being a physio, I'm all about kind of like the body, how it works, how it moves. And I've I've noticed like uh, over the years as you know when people are stressed like it can intensify their pain and you know there's such things as chronic pain where you know the there might not necessarily be any physical damage still there but people are still experiencing pain because it's like their nervous system is just really heightened and sensitive um, and it keeps sending those signals to their brain so mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm kind of diving deep into a little bit more like psychology slash neuroscience at the moment and how that kind of relates to the body and how we kind of experience those sensations and emotions and things like that super interesting I'll have to look that one up sounds really good yeah yeah I'll let you know how that second one goes yeah I do actually (laughs) and um, last question then on those is are you a coffee or a tea person but I think you answered that already (laughs) (laughs) I am a coffee person but I don't mind a tea like I did I did for a few weeks try to go off coffee because I just found like I was like drinking too many a day and I was just like super heightened um, on caffeine. So I did try tea for a little bit, but uh, yeah, I, I think I, I started on tea and then I sort of like jumped over to the coffee bandwagon, but I do like both. Yeah. Same as me. And I think I I'm the same with the coffee. I love the taste of coffee. I could drink it all day, but definitely not a good idea. So I switched to decaf then mm. after my first coffee of the day. <laughs> yeah. <The brain>. yeah. <laughs> and tea's like not so much the herbal stuff. Like I like like just the the normal like English breakfast or or Earl Grey. I love you know, the black, the black tea. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's good for a day like today where it's like really kind of cold and you just want to warm up from the inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing beats it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Kayla, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, who you are and what you do for the listeners. So my name is Kayla. I'm a physiotherapist. I studied, I got into physio because I studied exercise and sports science to start with. I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left school, but I played like sort of every single sport and was just super into like the gym and exercise and everything. So I kind of uh, just went down that track. Um, And then after or during university, what happened was I was um, trained to become a personal trainer and I started working as a personal trainer as I was going through my studies in exercise and sports science and physio and I absolutely loved coaching people and so uh, when I graduated uni I went into private practice and I learned a lot like it was like super hectic and busy and I uh, learned a lot of manual therapy skills and things like that but I really and we did do some sort of like active rehab and things like that but I just really missed the training side of things and um, you know actually coaching people so eventually I started working for a studio gym where I was able to sort of treat out of a treatment room and then combine it with the like strength and conditioning side of things as well Um, so I did that for a few years Um, absolutely loved it and then I started I went traveling um, with an ex-partner of mine and he was sort of in the field of education. He was a chiropractor and he um, was in sort of like online education. So when we started traveling and teaching seminars sort of all around the world, that's when I developed my current course that I have at the moment, which is AWPT. So that's Applied Women's Physiology and Training. And that's a an eight-week online course all to do with applied women's physiology and training as it kind of um as it kind of goes so everything to do with kind of like the anatomy physiology biomechanics um of women's training as well as like the physiological things in terms of sorry my phone's going off in terms of you know menstrual cycles and you know the different muscle fiber types and things that we have as women training through pregnancy um, and like the pelvic floor stuff and, you know, all that sort of stuff, menopause training throughout the lifespan. Um, Yeah. So a lot of different topics, but um, yeah, a good overview, I guess, of, you know, the differences between men and women when it comes to training. Yeah. And what would you say then, let's continue on that line of thought, are the main differences (laughs) between men and women when it comes to strength training in particular? Uh, So I'm glad you asked strength training because that's like my biggest niche and that's, you know, the one I like to focus on most. Um, But there are lots of things. So we could look at it from like a structural point of view and look at like the female skeletal structural structure, sorry, versus the male skeletal structure and just notice, you know, the differences that we see in, for example, like the pelvis, uh, the rib cage, you know, the angle of our knees, the angle of our elbows, things like that, because, you know, the main difference is obviously going to be women reproduce. Women need to have a different structure to be able to make space for the growth of a baby. Um, So we do have, you know, uh, a wider hip structure, wider pelvis, which sort of makes our knees come inwards as we sort of, you know, from outside the hips, like down to our feet, they sort of come inwards a lot more. 
So looking at that kind of stuff in terms of the setup and execution of different exercises. Um, so that's one thing. And then also like the physiological side of things. So women, you know, estrogen, progesterone are our main uh, dominant hormones, whereas males are more testosterone dominant. So not only does that play a role in how we would program for a woman and how we recover, but also in, you know, the changes that we see over that cycle, like over that month or however long it is, over that sort of, you know, 21 to 35 days, which we sort of see as normal. Um, whereas a man just stays, like his hormones just sort of stay the same all throughout, you know, their um, the month or like throughout their lifetime sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of like specifics, you know, I look at, I look at, um, sorry, the hormones. I look at the muscle fiber type. So women tend to be more type one muscle fiber dominant, which is better suited to, to kind of endurance type activities. Whereas males have type two, um, more of a distribution of type two muscle fibers, which are more for sort of explosive movements. And it kind of makes sense from an evolutionary perspective where men were like the hunters and and women were the galleries and they have to kind of you know they don't call it labor for no reason or or like pregnancy is a long time so we kind of need that bigger endurance capacity so in terms of training um you know women are able to work at higher volumes and higher intensities uh, than men for a specific load for like a specific relative load although our absolute strength tends to be a lot lower than a man. So, you know, in terms of percentages of 1RMs, we can work at that higher rate. We can also, you know, work for a higher number of reps at a certain weight. We can um, have less of a recovery time in our programming and in our training um, due to estrogen's effect um, and due to, you know, these these type one muscle fibers also being a lot more fatigue resistant, also, um, yeah, able, like quicker to recover because they, they are, you know, oxygenated, I guess, rather than sort of glycolytic, like the, the males one they need, uh, they take a, a lot more time to, you know, get ready to go again, sort of thing, but those more powerful muscle fiber types. Yeah. And then I guess what you said with the hormones as well for females to be aware with their cycles. So like in the low hormone phase, their training is probably going to be a bit stronger because that's when we're more, most like a male hormone wise. And then in the high hormone phase, being aware that they're probably more predisposition to possibly getting injured during that time. So to take a bit more time doing some mobility and warming up. Um, and I guess on that one, actually, I had a question that might be <laughs> something we can talk about. What sort of yeah. injuries would you say like are quite common among females more so than males? Yeah, so the biggest one, and this is uh, not just observational, they've done studies on this as well, is uh, knee ligament injuries. So in terms of what they've done is they've done studies on um, there's a couple of studies, like based off a few pregnancy type studies, we can see often we've related the hormone relaxin to uh, ligamentous injuries. Um, and, you know, those ligaments kind of relaxing during pregnancy to create room for the baby. But they have done a few studies to find. And there was a there was a group of studies done where 
eight out of 10 of the studies actually showed that it followed more of an estrogen curve. They found that relaxin actually peaks early on during pregnancy and then kind of tapers off. Whereas in rats, they found that it was related, but in, in human beings, they found that, you know, as pregnancy progresses, estrogen levels progress to something like a thousand fold right before childbirth. And then they drop suddenly. And then they found that, you know, knee ligament laxity increased throughout. That's what they measured was just the knee increased throughout pregnancy and then dropped off sort of as those hormones uh, dropped off during childbirth. And then again, like I've found with women who I train like postpartum that when they stop breastfeeding, the estrogen levels rise again, and they'll notice that they get a little bit more of that joint pain, ligament laxity as they finish breastfeeding. So that was one study which kind of showed that it was kind of related to estrogen. So it makes sense that during these high estrogen phases right before ovulation, let's say that there is more of that uh, risk of injury. And then in terms of the specific injury in terms of knees, because we have that greater Q angle, what's it's called a Q angle where the um, the thigh bone comes out from the hips and then it travels in towards the knees. It kind of creates, it's called a knee valgus. And so this puts our knee in a position where it can, you know, there can be a risk of ACL injury and ACL is anterior cruciate ligament, which is inside our knee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they found in, in studies of AFL players, women AFL players, that you know, during that time around ovulation through their cycle, there was a higher rate of ACL injuries um, in AFL players. So, yeah, that's what I would say would be number one is just that structure that we have at our knees as well as, you know, different times of the phase where, you know, we do see those higher estrogen levels and, um, you know, high levels of ligament laxity can put us at a greater risk of injury. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that you think women could be doing with their training then to help to prevent those sort of injuries yeah definitely so what you can do is and everyone is going to experience the cycle different they'll have different symptoms and things like that so first of all it is monitoring like the specific client and noticing whether they do have issues Um, but structuring your training and your programming around different phases is definitely something that can enhance training and performance but also minimize risk of injury When it comes to strength training, though, I find that because it is such a controlled environment, because we are really quite safe, like we're in a closed environment, we've got symmetrical dumbbells, barbells, things like that to play with, um, we we are quite safe. So, you know, around those periods where we do have that higher risk of injury, we do tend to feel better in that stage, like when estrogen is high, you know, fertility is high around ovulation and, you know, sex drive is high, for example, energy levels are high. So we kind of do feel like going hard. Like we kind of do feel like, you know, sort of pumping it out. So, you know, I say like in a gym, it's really, you know, quite safe, quite controlled. So, you know, there isn't as high risk of injury if say you were out playing sport Mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, but in saying that, we can definitely change up exercises. So say, for example, you're doing a barbell back squat and you find you're a little bit wobbly. Maybe there's a little bit of ligament laxity. Maybe the stability isn't quite there uh, on that particular day, for example. Then you can easily like swap that over to something like a leg press where you're 
a lot more externally supported. You know, you're not as at a high risk of injury. You can fail in a safe position. You can go really hard on a leg press without necessarily, you know, putting yourself at a risk of injury because you've got the back pad to sort of support you. You've got the seat to support you and you can really like, you know, anchor yourself in and just go really hard on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and I guess, as you said, everybody experiences it differently. So for some women, they may find that they notice some changes in their training throughout their cycle and for others, they may not. So it's important to be aware of that as well, I guess. Uh, another question I had for you then is, um, are there any common mistakes that you see women make when it comes to training? Uh, I think the biggest mistake that I see or that I hear of as well is probably just training too hard on too low calories. Like I think mm-hmm. it's a big thing where, you know, women are, are constantly, well, not like not all women, but like a lot of the majority of women are dieting um, at certain times and then um, they're training just way too hard. They're not recovering well enough. They think that more is better. Whereas, you know, if you give yourself that recovery, you don't build muscle when you're training, you build muscle when you're recovering. So it's not about how much you can actually do, it's about how much you can recover from. And I find that, you know, if you're on really low calories and you're really high output in the gym, you really don't have anywhere to go. So if you put yourself in a good position first, where you build your calories up, you get really strong in the gym, like, you know, um, really sort of work on your performance-based goals for a while, uh, then you kind of, you not only put yourself in a better position to diet from where, you know, you've built your cal- calories up, you're not doing like super high output in the gym, you have more room to move, but you're actually also not as likely to, you know, experience any sort of women's health issues as well. So, you know, it's just so common these days to see, women who have irregular cycles or they um, have lost their cycle completely just from, you know, constant dieting, you know, really smashing it out in the gym, um, putting their body under a lot of stress because, you know, we don't, we not only have like the physical stress of training and the stress of dieting, but, you know, the stresses of life these days, the stresses of, um, I mean, like here, not so much, but like COVID, financial stresses and like relationship stresses whatever sort of stress is going on in life like these days it's just such a stressful environment that um it creates like an infertile uh environment for your body because your body doesn't trust you to be able to you know grow and produce a baby so I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes is just doing too much and not eating enough um because really like it's about being effective you want to be able to you know work smarter not harder exactly so true I'm so glad you brought that up because I think it's such a big thing like so many women think that the more they train the better results they're going to get or the more weight they're going to lose when in fact as you said like recovery is just as important and not only that but I think like like you mentioned there, you know, women losing their period and hypothalamic amenorrhea, like it's become so, such um, a thing that is like almost glossed over. Like girls will lose their period if they're dieting and take no notice of it sometimes when it's such a big red flag and people need to be aware that that's a health concern and that's not something that you want to have continuing on. Mm. 
And I think as well, like, especially young girls, they think, okay, it doesn't matter if I lose my period. It's like it's an inconvenience when you're young, getting your period every month. But it's not like your period and healthy hormones are not just important for a regular menstrual cycle. They're not important just for fertility. Like, you know, you may have fertility issues further down the track. Perhaps maybe if you're thinking you want to conceive one day, you might have issues, you know, that last for years if if you've lost your period and you find you're having difficulty getting it back. But it's not only that, like estrogen and progesterone's role in the body is not limited to reproduction. You know, estrogen is actually an anti-catabolic hormone, so it protects bone loss, it protects muscle loss. You know, as we age, this is really important, especially through menopause. Um, progesterone has neuroprotective effects on our brain and our cognition as well. So, you know, we can see issues with memory, issues with uh, thinking and cognition, you know, later on potentially issues like dementia and Alzheimer's. So it's not just about fertility. It's not just about, um, you know, having a baby that our hormones impact. It's it's overall health. Like there are so many other um, processes that these hormones are involved in. And so, yeah, it's important to keep them in check Mm -hmm. when we're training. Yeah. So important. I think, yeah, that's something that people just need to be a lot more aware of. And if ever a client comes to me and they have like an irregular cycle or they've lost their period, it's not really a time to look at dieting. And like you said, it's better to spend some time, you know, building calories up and focusing more on training and performance and actually getting stronger And then in the future, you know, when they're at a healthy level with everything and hormones are working properly, then dieting is probably going to go a lot better for them as well at that point. So um, I think that's a really important point. Um, Yeah. Next question I had for you then is, um, are there any exercises you think are quite overrated by females when it comes to their training? There are some. I could get a little bit controversial here, but there are definitely, um, there are definitely exercises that like, for example, like hip thrust, let's go hip thrust because that's going to be like the the main one. I would say they're overrated, but they're not, um, they're not like not necessary if that kind of makes sense. So overrated in a way that, you know, um, they are great for putting load on your glutes in terms of like injury risk management you know having a heavy barbell placed across horizontally your pelvis which is not supposed to support heavy barbells um you know puts you at a high risk of injury because we have really small small joints in our pelvis like our pubic symphysis is a really small joint we have uh two joints at the back called our sacroiliac joint some people might have heard of um, we're kind of loading our spine as well, like in a horizontal plane, whereas it's it's more vertical compression that our spine is is supposed to manage, like through gravity. Um, so I think hip thrusts are a great exercise to load your glutes, like you can put a load of load on it. In terms of tension, load doesn't necessarily equal tension. So you can put just as much if not more tension through your glutes using other exercises and you can also work them through a greater range of motion so hip thrust is a very small range of motion 
um, it's only the very sort of shortened range of the glute that it hits, whereas exercises like that go through more hip extension, say an RDL or a a leg press, um, a 45-degree back extension as well, uh, glute-focused back extension, step-ups. These are all really great exercises that, you know, I would say more safe um, that can actually put a lot more tension through the glutes as well. So um, I think, yeah, we could say hip thrusts are a little bit overrated in terms of, you know, booty growth, like they're not the be-all and end-all for booty growth. Um, but yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest one I would say the, the biggest, was that the question again? I I forgot. Yeah, that that kind of covers it, I think. And I guess another thing that Maybe even banded glutes like that's 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 why that's that's worse than yeah that's that's worse worse than yeah 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 Yeah. so many girls think that by doing that they're gonna grow their glutes and it's like no it's just a band you're not actually using any load there yeah and the way that the band is set up and the, the way that the um like the strength curve of our muscles are um you know the band gets harder towards your weakest point Whereas like there's no tension like at the very start with the band and, you know, it's just, it's not equal load or equal tension through the muscle fibers of the glutes because, you know, just the way that the band stretches, like there's most tension at the very end and we tend to be weaker at either end of our muscles, whereas we're strongest in mid range. So even like swapping a band for a cable is just, that's a start. Like that's where you can start to. Good tip. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. And um, last question that I have for you, Kayla, was, um, and we kind of mentioned just about like postnatal and um, pregnancy there um, a little bit earlier, but maybe just touching on how women might need to train differently at different stages in their life. Yeah. So um, there is, I guess, there has been a change like over time in terms of training during pregnancy. Like, you know, early, I think, 1900s, it was exercise was highly discouraged in women who were pregnant. It was sort of seen, you're almost considered like diseased back then. And like it was, it was considered like a state of confinement. Whereas, you know, over time, we've sort of realized the benefits of exercising during pregnancy. It wasn't up until not even that long ago. I think it was like 2000 and 2002, or maybe even might have been earlier, it might have been like in the 1990s where they said don't don't exercise over 140 beats per minute and um, don't get your temperature up more than 38 degrees. And so they were kind of abolished, I think, in the 1990s. But I still kind of see those guidelines today, like, you know, don't get your heart rate up um, and don't, like, get too hot. There are definitely, like, we definitely do want to be conservative, especially during that first trimester when there is a high risk of miscarriage. Um, but using sort of more RPE scale and, and uh, perceived um, exertion rate is going to be, I guess, a lot better, uh, like a better way to measure how hard you're actually working. So you want to kind of work at, like, a moderate intensity um where like you can be a little bit out of breath but you can still hold a conversation because we do see a a blunted heart rate response 
during um, during pregnancy as well. So the heart rate thing might be a little bit inaccurate. Uh, and there has been, you know, a lot of a lot of research in terms of gestational diabetes that exercise even in women who haven't previously exercised or women who have been sedentary before getting pregnant, even if they start exercising during pregnancy, they can see benefits in terms of gestational diabetes. So, um, you know, helping to regulate those blood sugar levels is going to be really important. Um, And then, you know, there are some other considerations that we can make further throughout pregnancy as we get into, you know, Um, second trimester we start to see changes in the body and the structure of the body there's a little bit more weight anteriorly um, as the stomach grows and um, you know this is going to change up the way we do some some exercises we're going to have you know more of that center of mass space around the front so we might need to modify certain exercises we might need to you know not lie on our backs for example like women who are pregnant shouldn't lie, you know, directly flat on their back after about 24 weeks, um, just because they can uh, experience like uh, blood supply cut off and things like that. Um, And uh, like issues with breathing and things like that, if their their diaphragm, if their diaphragm is being pressed against as well. Um, But, you know, most women can exercise safely during pregnancy. The biggest thing is to just make sure they're cleared by a doctor before doing so or like obstetrician gynecologist whoever they're they're seeing and making sure they're getting regular checkups as well throughout pregnancy to make sure that they're staying healthy and that they don't have any contraindications to exercise during pregnancy awesome yeah great and I know I said that was going to be the last question I just thought of one more for you (laughs) no go for it shoot we could talk about this all day (laughs) I um, just wanted to kind of talk about like how women might want to structure their training a little bit differently to men, just based on the fact that, you know, we would be more predisposed to, you know, that endurance style training. Would there be any changes you would suggest that women would make to their training, you know, rather than following something that is quite generic? You know, what way would you advise a woman to structure her training sessions? Um. Yeah, so with women, because we do tend to recover better from training sessions, we might be able to hit, say, lower body, because lower body exercises and sessions are quite uh, taxing, like Mm -hmm. neurologically taxing. So not just because, you know, because we're able to recover better and also because we are lifting relatively lower weights than men, we can probably hit lower body three to four times a week um, whereas men might only be able to handle one or two in terms of you know the intensity and in terms of recovery so we kind of see women you know a training split more lower body dominant um, and you know sort of focus around maybe two sessions upper body whereas men will focus on um, focus more on their upper body it's it's mm-hmm. kind of a I guess an aesthetic based goal yeah or it's related to aesthetic-based goals. In terms of like strength training, if women want to build their upper body strength, they will have to increase the frequency of their upper body lifts as well because we just don't have the capacity to scale our upper body strength as much as men. Mm -hmm. Um, Men tend to have more muscle mass 
on their upper bodies. They have what's called higher androgen receptors in their upper bodies. So that's basically the receptors that, um, you know, testosterone is sensitive to. And so they're able to easily build more muscle mass on their upper bodies, whereas women aren't. So our upper body, our ability to scale our upper body strength isn't as high as for men. Um, so in terms of strength, we may need to hit that more frequently if we're trying to build our upper body strength. Um, but in terms of aesthetics, women don't tend to want to put on a lot of muscle mass on their upper body. So, you know, around two sessions a week might be um, appropriate in terms of that. Very interesting. And, and I know I'm <laughs> I'm always trying to work on upper body strength and it's such a struggle. So I really understand that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Kayla. That was really informative. Uh, before you go, do you want to tell the listeners a bit more about your course, where they can find you? Yeah, for sure. Um, and thank you for having me. I really enjoyed um, the conversation. And that's some really good questions too. So um, AWPT is an eight-week online course in applied women's physiology and training. So like I said at the start, we cover everything from anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, all the way through to training during pregnancy, um, the hormones and everything like that. Uh, it's it's live lectures. So I get on and I just talk like I did right now. So um, I've, I've done quite a few of them now. So it's just kind of like second nature um, to me. But we have the next one starting. I'm not sure if this podcast is coming out in time, but the next one is going to be the 30th of June. Uh, 2021 that we're starting the next intake um and yeah that's uh, i'm kayla lee physio on instagram and um are you planning on running any more seminars i saw you ran a few seminars around australia this year are you do you have any more of those lined up um i haven't at the moment i'd absolutely love to do uh another round even this year so i also run a six-month mentorship uh where um, I'm sort of educating ladies a little bit deeper into more of the the biomechanics and anatomy side of things, um, and they kind of help me teach like sort of all around uh, the different states. So you know, with the new intake that we have uh, starting up in June as well, so starting in the next couple of weeks, um, yeah, we might look at doing another tour, maybe doing two tours uh, a year in terms of that, and you know, once the world opens up maybe even some uh, overseas again. So yeah, that'd be good. Watch the space. Yeah, exactly. And that wraps up today's guest interview episode. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Kayla. And if you took something away from it, be sure to let us know by perhaps posting it on your Instagram story and giving us a tag. You can tag Kayla at Kayla Lee Physio and you can tag me at Actively Aoife. Thanks again for listening and I will speak to you guys in the next episode.